Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Yes, Abel Salatre, who almost came back again. Um, hello, Abel. Here you are on the phone. Hello. Yeah. Hi, Max. How are you doing? I'm fine. And that was from the Jazz London Jazz Festival launch, what, last September? Yes, yes. A memorable time indeed. And, and um, I'm just trying to nail, who was that voice? Who, who was doing the intros there? Oh, that was Soweto, Soweto Kint. Oh, yeah, that's how I need, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, great saxophonist, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Great name, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, how how good it is to speak to you, and thank you for waiting there through seven minutes of your own music. Um, Likewise. We we were just having a little chat while that was playing, um, and I was just saying that the way that you sing reminded me a lot of the way Hugh Masekela sings on some of his earlier tunes, um, not not so much the ones that I suppose he became famous for, but some of the ones that are still used on the dance floor very much. So, And you were saying you can't help it because he's such a major influence. Yeah, indeed. I think, you know, um, there's a, a bunch of people who I consider um, the lineage that I tend to uh, think about following. So I think Hugh Masekela is one, especially with uh, his message. And actually, like, the type of voice that he has really inspires me, actually. I think it's between, like, cultural and also jazz, but also people like Meriam Makeba, you know, such a, a natural force. Uh, I find them very inspiring. And all the guys that also came here, uh, such, as, such as Dudu Pukwana and, um, uh, and a whole lot of people who are like that, and Eugene Skir. So all of those kind of people kind of add to the influence, you know, um, this uh, sort of treading the line between improvised music and uh, our own cultural music. Well, one of the fascinating things um, about uh, jazz in this country is the way that um, that, that in the 60s and 50s, 
well, the very late 50s, as people like Hugh uh, came over and later on as the Blue Notes came over and Doodoo and so on, um, was how interested and fascinated not only were, were the British, particularly the avant-garde jazzers, not, not only were the Brits interested in the South Africans, but the South Africans were just really very interested in the Brits too. Um, and it, and, it, and it, it's sort of um, a strange thing, really, because um, like both groups of people were really, really, really into what was you know, happening in New York and on the West Coast, yeah. and they were really into African-American music. And yet they were also totally into each other's music. Yeah, I mean, it's really about how you know we ingest culture and you know you know people like you were also thrown into western institutions where he learned you know hardcore jazz and i as a young cellist was thrown into uh you know uh, an, a classical music institution learning you know at the royal northern college of music and so bringing that and then and saying like what does you know living with my culture every day thinking about it, reflecting on it. And something it's something that really helps you to to live every day so far away from home. Every time you touch back with your culture, you kind of feel that much closer and that much uh, grounded. So I think we are, yeah, it's how we ingest this culture. And then, you know, what comes out is is uh, reflective of, of, you know, how we take both sides. Yeah, and, and also what emerges is something that is really um, amazing, that, you know, a kind of new uh, culture emerged in kind of 70s jazz here from from this mixture of, of influences. And maybe that's happening all over again with you. I mean, what, what, um, what originally brought you here? Did you come because your family was coming or did you come precisely uh, to go to the Royal Northern College. No, no, my my family's everybody's still back in South Africa. So I yeah, I was very lucky to to get a scholarship at the Royal Northern College of Music um studying pretty like hardcore classical stuff, you know, in a very intense class um uh with some incredible cellists. Um and so that was a a time to to come and just specifically study classical music. Um but the longer I lived here you know, there were more reflections on, on my own identity and um, finding like a voice that's mine. Because once I got here, I realized, you know, everybody's really good at the cello. You know, uh, uh, of course, you know, classical music. You play same pieces. It's it's uh, dependent on interpretation and um, sometimes even choice of repertoire. But I thought actually, what made me me a lot was that I, I had you know, a culture of singing from home that I just couldn't let go. And it was such a part of my life at all times, you know. And uh, then I get to to the music college where it's very classical and um, people don't really sing. They just play their instruments because then uh, people start saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a cellist. I'm not a singer. I didn't study singing. Whereas actually at home, people sing and play instruments and they don't consider themselves uh, to be one or the other. So the the lines are a little bit blurred. So I thought that would be something that um, uh, I could really identify with and would make me uh, more myself uh, in such a saturated sort of industry where everybody's looking uh, for their voice. So, um, but like the the only, I mean, it, it's a sort of two-edged sword. I don't know if that's the right analogy, but... Um, 
But so you, you've got a sort of unique way of displaying your talents. Um, but that also means that because um, the way that culture and music is marketed in this society, um, it, it's very sort of stratified and there are kind of fences and walls between things. So people are classical musicians or mm. they are jazz musicians or they are roots musicians. But, mm. um, but you know, then if somebody's doing all those things, uh, where do they do that and get an audience? Yeah, hey, that's a great question. I mean, maybe you can help me to unpack this. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I think it's really important as a musician, as an artist, uh, to create curiosity for your audience. I think that's like an ingredient that's um, that's really important. You know, so yeah, that's that a, means- that's a really good way of 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 saying it, of kind of um, yeah. giving making that image i think that is exactly the job of artists or one of them anyway yeah i mean i i would rather have you know three curious people um who are willing to um find um because as much as i try to get better as a musician as an audience member your listening also gets better as people we just get better at listening and i think it's an important thing to just keep curious on both sides that that i am allowed to change you know, um, that I'm allowed to become something else while you're still looking and listening, um, uh, then that's a really open door for progress. So I find that much more exciting than trying to fit into um, a certain uh, a certain group. And actually, currently, you know, I'm writing my album called Hayekikai in the language of Sotho. Hayekikai means where is home? And uh, this addresses this exact question, you know, uh, and finding out where do I really belong with my sound culturally? Where do I belong? Do I still belong in South Africa, even though um, I've not lived, uh, you know, and seeped in current cultures as much as I, I could have if I was living there? Or or how am I still uh, a South African cellist and how am I a cellist? Or, uh, you know, so like finding out exactly where's home. And actually, a lot of the time, it tends to be, to be within rather than something that is external. Yeah, yeah. But but again, the audience has to um, perceive that and understand that. Because I remember, I mean, I've only visited South Africa once um, yeah. and uh, and it was Johannesburg, um, although I went to Soweto too. And um, But what I remember, I was part of a sort of music festival. But what I remember was that the, the audience was um, really quite, once again, um, I don't know if stratified is the right word, and you could say the same about audiences here, but like it, it was sort of one community at a time, one, if you like, one shade of the rainbow at a time, so that even though it was a sort of world music festival, so when Amadou and Mariam came on, and, you know, they're, they're Malians, but they mostly play with white French rockers, so, um, and uh, uh, I can't remember who preceded them on stage, but but the but the audience was really quite mixed, and perhaps there were more people of color than white people. And then Amadou and Mariam came on, and it, it totally reversed um, because it was perceived as 
some French rock group with a, a, a couple of Africans in it. And I, I just thought, um, yeah, well, why wouldn't it be like that? People live in communities, people speak, I don't know, how many different languages in, in South Africa? A dozen? Um, there's 11 official languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, you know, why wouldn't you want to socialise with your community? But on the other mm-hmm. hand, I just thought it was just such a good idea to have this festival going on, um, which was mm-hmm. offering something to everybody. It's just that a shame that everybody wasn't getting it. I mean, um, I was working in a club bit and we were doing kind of uh, very much... M- fused culture music so it, it was both digital and live and people yeah. from different I mean, continents i find that you know we will all be surprised um i think about how going into different communities and showing and just playing and being yourself and not necessarily being them is is such a good thing you know yeah. um but I just wondered what. So when you're in South Africa, who do you play to? That's that's what I was getting to. Sorry, it took me a long time to get there. So when I'm in, when I go to South Africa, you know there are different sides. You know, I end up playing. I play like a classical music concert in somebody's house. You know, it'll be like in the urban area, like very beautiful and you know quite affluent. Um, but I tend to. Um, to mix my company quite a bit, you know, to try and, and bring those people in the same place. And sometimes downtown Johannesburg, there was a, an amazing club uh, there called The Orbit, which I really wanted to play before I went back, but it closed. Uh, but more places like that are opening up where, you know, there's a there's a bridge called the Mandela Bridge. On the other side of the bridge is the university, and further on is the suburbs. But on the other side, uh, you you get to downtown Johannesburg, which is, you know, taxis, loads of people, and uh, the central business district where you'd find that the more affluent people are, are really hesitant to go. Uh, so changing that idea and actually getting people to come over that bridge is actually the challenge. But it seems to be happening, you know, with people creating different art spaces in the center of Johannesburg, which is amazing. So I tend to gravitate towards those where there's much more of a, a diverse gathering. Um, but even in some instances, classical music always somehow lends me back, you know, to um, to those effluent areas. But then when I go home, I go to the township because uh, my parents and my father, they live in a place called Sibukeng. Uh, and uh, I have to go home and I have to practice and I have to play and people always come to listen. And it'll always be a mixture of what they love, but also... Um, you know, a little bit of education about things that they don't know. So um, I find that Bach is quite universal. You know, people tend to listen to that and actually find, um, uh, you know, a lot of, a, a bit of solace in that together, which I love. So people uh, respond to that always surprisingly. So I go home, I play in Subukeng when I'm practicing and people come and listen, urban areas, you know, uh, and sometimes where, you know, where you, usually find classical music so it's always a mixed bag but i just hope that people uh, can come to the township and experience you know uh, a festival which i hope to make one day that is a combination of of both classical and world music well uh, yeah i'd like to be there i'd like to be there and 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 the other thing about it is it it kind of chimes in with what you were saying earlier about it being the work of an artist to um 
to open doors for people. And um, and I, I really think that one of the things about playing music like Bach's music outside concert halls, um, mm. where you where you obviously hear it, but and bringing it to places where you don't normally hear it, um, it, it that's profound, uh, and you can mm. see it having a profound effect on people. Mm. I mean, it's it's amazing because I you know I think it's uh, with classical music it can be um, can give you an opportunity to be truly introspective. You know, the the time that um, African communities get. As as a community, not not uh, as an individual, but as a community, is times like when we go to church. You know, when you sing these incredible hymns that are very slow and like incredible harmony. Um, but I feel like classical music also provides this feeling. You know, um, and I I find that whenever I play that kind of music in public, uh, outside the concert hall, it kind of brings people to a a type of um, introspectiveness that you know, like a and and reflection that which is quite special to see, and then of course we can change into into the grooves and all of that kind of thing. But actually, I find that classical music provides that as much as the African hymns do. And sometimes I try to find correlation between uh, some of the South African hymns, you know, with with uh, music from from Haydn and the classical era because. Uh, all the missionaries came to teach and what they taught were these kind of hymns that I had four part. And I find, you know, my peers and, and my father and some of my friends singing this, these bass lines that are very similar to some of this music. So, uh, you know, I'm forever looking for these links between these musics and, and uh, even the Bach suites, you know, as much as I practice at home, my mother would be listening and like some of these things are earworm. And she would sing it in the way that she feels it should be sung. And that's also quite special. So I end up reinterpreting that and, and, and trying to see how she hears it and how she sees it. So I think it's forever connected. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's a brilliant article, uh, which I think is originally in Rolling Stone, but it's online. And uh, now you'll have to correct my pronunciation, but um, is that form of... Um, of Zulu music, uh, you know, the, the, the singing, um, so it, it's, uh, is it called Iskatemaya? Oh, Iskatemaya, yeah. Oh, there we are. Close, close. I just didn't do the click, sorry. Um, yeah, it, it's about how the origins of that Zulu music, um, mm. uh, may, apart from what people were singing anyway, that it was to do with visits by, um, particular, uh, gospel um bands um in the late 19th century like um it was something to do with um the british um there was a guy who was a british ambassador in in india <laughs> i know this sounds strange and he thought well wouldn't it be good if uh, yeah, this is very imperialist and colonialist but wouldn't it be good he thought if these people were exposed to christianity and isn't the best way of exposing them to Christianity is um, by by letting them hear people of colour sing uh, these songs because they are people of colour. So you got kind of uh, gospel groups from the southern United States in the 1890s being taken over to India. Then he got moved to South Africa and he thought, yeah, well, that worked there. Let's see what happens here. And I don't know what truth there is in this, but um, the... 
it, it's kind of a really interesting article to read. And like, I've I've always found, in particularly in South African music, that from the first time I ever heard it, which actually probably was in the fifties as a kid when there were things on the radio from South Africa, um, I, it felt a bit like coming home, and I never quite knew why it sounded like I was connected to it rather than that this was different music. Mm. Um, and I think it, it's absolutely to do with that, those shared harmonic structures. Mm. Any, yeah, I, what do you think? <laughs> something to be said for, you know, whether it's through good or bad, how the cultures were were meshed and like then how we then further ingested them and how we then interpreted them to be what they are today. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a true sense of um, uh, of of creativity and and uh, and uh, authenticity, like made from from uh, from the kind of music that came before um, that came before you know the missionaries came and that kind of and all these influences came to you know to to seeing it and then to interpreting it. And I think yeah, it's just created. A new thing. So I think we still have, a, as a young musician, I feel like I have the opportunity to um, really think about how I'd like to um, be influenced by by my world. Because the world is so small now, you know, you can listen to so much music from everywhere and really be influenced by it. And you can go there if you want to and really be a part of those kind of communities or, you know, be a part of it or be closer to it. So I find that, you know, I have to choose really carefully um and really think about why you know I want to be influenced by things and and um, what really uh, is the essence of you know of of those of what inspires me about different types of music that I want to influence my voice. Well, um, I think that that is surely um, a good time to get back to your music. Um, and um, apologies that we haven't heard more of it, but we're going to hear some now. So um, you've come along with two tracks, so to speak, um, today. And I think that you told me one's called Shokomela. Yes, Shokomela. Yes. Oh, Shokomela. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to play that first of all, and then uh, you can tell us a little more about it. Um, but uh, th this features you. Is there? Is it all cello? Is it? Tell us a little about it before it well, coaxes us into it. <laughs> is a is a word that means take care. Um, it depends on how you interpret it. It can also be be careful. But uh, the song is actually a lot about compa compassion. Uh, and how um, we are raised uh, not only by our mothers and fathers, but by our community. As they always say, it takes a village to raise a child. So this is the whole idea that, um, you know, uh, your community forms you, and therefore we are all responsible for each other. Uh, and so, you know, you have to think of other people as much as you think of yourself. Wow, I'm a lucky radio presenter having Abel on the show with me. That was Shlokomela, um, wonderful piece of music. So um, you were just saying, Abel, uh, about 
how difficult it is to pursue um, cultural or, or authenticity um, and also worry about cultural appropriation. So how, how did that tune get from what it was when you found it to what it was when you just played it? Um, actually, this, this tune came about when I went back home last year um, uh, in April. Well, I went on tour with um, actually one of my friends called Bernard Schimpelsberger, uh, who's a, an incredible drummer. Uh, and I kind of been writing it on the sly, you know, I hadn't really told anybody about it, but uh, we got home and um, one of our friends uh, taught us a core rhythm in, in 11 uh, and he was a percussionist and I was really, you know, surprised and inspired, you know, by how he was reshaping it because we actually heard that uh, same rhythm uh, played by a lady called Uma Tosini, who's a bow player. Um, so, from Matosini to Khunzi, the percussionist, uh, and then and then this rhythm to me uh, it, it changed, you know, the shape and and um, and style so much, uh, and I decided to take it on and write uh, something else. So I took that that piece in eleven, wrote a whole piece out of it, and then and this other piece, Clocomela, was born after that, and then it all came from, you know, the whole idea that uh, we must be you know, compassionate and stop thinking about just ourselves and also warn each other, you know, when we see certain qualities in ourselves or in each other uh, that don't look good. Uh, it's it's a bit of a, um, a scary thing that the rest of the world doesn't really tell you what mistakes you're making. In Susutu, um, there's a saying that uh, which means a monkey cannot see its own uh, scars or pimples, you know. So it's important that other people tell you, that other people uh, help you reflect on yourself. Uh, and in this way, we all grow uh, together. Yeah, but um, but that's actually an act of courage to be able to speak to people about their perceived faults mm. or indeed pimples. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's there's a lot to think about there, um, and and it also, I mean, it's interesting that you, when you play with people as a musician, uh, everything becomes authentic. I mean, you know, your approach to their music, their approach to your music, it forms a new authenticity. Mm. Uh, I think that's what's happening there, so that. I mean, yes, there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, but um, that's not the name of your game. Well, I, you know, I think it's folk music is passed around through generation and generation and generation. So there are certain rhythms and certain tunes that are still played today, um, and they have just changed shape. But actually, the, a lot of the structure is so much the same, but. Uh, it's allowed to change. You know, I think um, there's a, a saying uh, that one said uh, by Mala, I think. He says, uh, tradition is not the worship of the ashes. Um, it's the keeping of the fire. You know, it's the, it's the 
um, the preservation of the fire. So I think that's just quite important to be inspired by how people lived and how people spoke uh, from before and then interpret it in your own way. I, I really don't see um, any sin in that. I just find it quite inspiring that I am allowed to take um, rhythms, uh, words, um, ways of my forefathers, the way they lived and reinterpret it in my own way, in that way that we keep what's important within it alive still. Um, well, that, that was uh, such a beautiful example of that in, in every way. Now, you just mentioned Bernhard Schimpelsberger, who is a friend of yours. Yes. And you've brought in a track uh, on which he plays with Chris Gale. Yes, with the pianist Chris Gale from Germany, yes. Uh, and uh, it's off an album called Myriad, and it's going to be called Segeri Yua. Is that right? Segeria, yeah. It's uh, it's a beautiful one because I'm actually, you know, I spent a lot of time with Bernard, uh, who I have learned so much uh, from him about rhythm. He's a he's a master of rhythm and also uh, really into into Indian music, Konakor. But also, you know, he decided to uh, create a, a series called Rhythm Diaries. Um, I'd urge everybody to check it out. So he goes around the world exploring uh, the different ways that you know, people speak with rhythm in very different ways, but always find this similarities between these beautiful cultures. So um, he was also inspired by this rhythm, Segaria from Spain. And uh, we played this tune that he wrote in a, in a concert at the London Jazz Festival together. And this was the first time I learned this, this rhythm, Segaria, and we've always celebrated it. So um, I just thought, you know, to give him a big shout out and also to thank him because I think, it's really great when friends teach each other things all the time. So uh, I'm most inspired by actually people who I am around. So I think, you know, Bernard's piece, this one is also one of these inspiring uh, antidotes. Okay, so this one's going out to Bernard. I only hope he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> That was a special track chosen by my guest. Uh, my guest is, of course, Abel Salakre, and he's an amazing cellist and an amazing singer and composer. Um, and that was his friend Bernard Schimpelsberger on percussion, Chris Gale on piano, track called Segerio. Um, and it's been great having you on the show, but even the late lunch show has to have an ending. I don't know why. Oh, I suppose otherwise we'd be on all the time. Um, <laughs> so um, we have got one more piece from you, but I think it's uh, important to say that one reason that you're here, uh, apart from sharing your brilliance with us all, is that um, you have got a thing called a serious live stream session. That's serious, the music producers. They've got these um, live stream sessions, and there's one on the 29th of May, which features Abel himself... That's at seven o'clock. And by the way, actually, they've got one tonight featuring the amazing Camilla George, of whom uh, I've definitely worked with over the years. Yeah, she's great too. 
Um, but Abel is on the 29th of May and you should make sure that you set some time aside to listen to him live on stream. And he's also involved in another um, festival um, that uh, Eugene Skeef has uh, curated um, on the 18th of May. It's the Act 4 Music Festival, which I can see it's an eight-week online music festival featuring specially curated home video music performances. So um, do try and catch that as well. Um, and it's great that you're actually, you know, making use of all these chances to be out there and live at this time when you can't be out there and live. Are you yeah. there? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes, I'm here. Um, yeah, I mean, social media and everything is, is funny that, like, um, I've never been always a friend of it, but I think it's, it's important to really keep connecting with people and and making sure that yet again, you know, in terms of the word of Sokomela, you're taking care of others and, and seeing how people are on a day-to-day basis. So th- this is also my way of, of um, uh, pouring a little bit of light uh, on today's situation, just always sharing music. It's really uh, important uh, to pass the time, but also to, to really um, uh, heal ourselves. So, I'm really happy that I'm able to share my music on these platforms. And yeah, I hope everybody will keep on being curious and finding music on on all these platforms. Well, I think people are going to be totally inspired um, and enchanted by your music. Speaking for myself. um, So we've got one more piece from you, which is going to close the program. I'll be back uh, next Friday um, with a slightly pre-recorded version of the Late Lunch Show. Um, But uh, nevertheless, I'll be there for you. Um, So please tune in again next week and you can get this program again and again online pretty soon up on Mixcloud. I'll put the link up and the playlist up on Twitter, etc. Abel, what are you off to do now? Ah, I think now I'm going to, because I'm in the peaks in the hills, I'm going to take a little walk, um, get some fresh air. Uh, and I have to write some more music today. So writing for choir and just, yeah, I keep creating, as I say. So there's uh, so much to be excited about. So we keep going. Okay, and you're leaving us with a track that I would say, in a slightly untutored way, I would say it's called Selalao uh Selalao, I'm just looking for Malala. Oh, yeah. Selalao Shrey, is that right? Oh, Selatwewu. Actually, this is very apt because Selatwewu means a good journey to you all. So uh, it's it's uh, asking for sort of a a, a pure uh, journey, a white journey almost. So, yeah, Selatwewu. Okay, well, I wish everyone a good journey, especially you, Abel, and hope to meet you again soon, and I'll listen out for you online. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for being with us, Abel. Cheers, thank you. Bye-bye. Well, <laughs> <laughs>